Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Impact of Influence, the Murdoch family murders. This is the unfolding story of a powerful South Carolina family, the mysterious deaths they are linked to, and our quest to bring you the truth. Hello, friend. Matt Harris and Seton Tucker, always grateful to have you spend some time with us if you want to find us, Seton, how do they do that? You can find us on Facebook at Murdoch Podcast or on our website, which is MurdochPodcast.com. You want to send an email, MattHarrisPodcast at gmail.com. And we just, as we've said a million times, we're just so grateful. We never thought that we'd have a podcast that had this many people listening. So thank you. And we've met so many really cool people and great people throughout the course of this journey. And one of them is the Hampton County native. Michael DeWitt. He's a multiple award-winning journalist, longtime editor of the 143-year-old, the Hampton County Guardian. He's had boots in the ground, the coverage of all the Murdoch things going way back to Stephen Smith, been published and printed online uh, through Gannett's nationwide USA Today network. And we are so happy to have him join us. We'll talk to the, about the books that he has coming out. He already has one out. And uh We'll get into that in a moment, but but Michael joins us. So Michael, I see you've been on you know twenty twenty and forty eight hours and Dateline, the Netflix documentary. Did you ever, in your wildest imagination, think you'd be in all these national programs and the documentaries? Uh, no, absolutely not. Um, I never thought I'd see the day when I'd see a, a Murdoch wearing handcuffs and a, a a jumpsuit. So all of this has just been shocking. Shocking, new, wild, crazy, you name it. It's, it's been all that. At the beginning of this whole saga, let's even go back five years or so. Did you have a vibe or the town of a vibe that the Murdoch were above the law? Or was it, was it a whisper or was it a shout or was it not even thought of? Growing up in Hampton County in, in my generation, uh, we always, we, we knew who the Murdochs were. I mean, if, if you were uh, in the 14th Circuit, you, you, you pretty much knew. If you were in Hampton County, everybody knew the Murdochs. You know, in my case, I went to school with them, and, and Alex's mother was one of my teachers. And then later served on the school board. But my generation, we always heard, rumors, uh, you know, allegations of corruption in the past and, uh, and that kind of thing. So we weren't really surprised by, by that. Randolph III, uh, Alex's father, was, you know, a, 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 a lot cleaner than, than his dad was and Buster was. And when he retired, uh, most people still, he was still highly regarded, well-respected. It was around 2015 when this, when the Stephen Smith's body showed up in the middle of the road and we started hearing these rumors. That's when we, people in the community really began to to question, you know, had these people been getting away with things for too long, you know? I get asked the question all the time uh, when we first started this podcast, were you scared to speak out against the Murdoch family? And I always responded, I personally was never scared of anything other than getting sued. How did you feel? 
well, I guess it's been different for me than than pretty much anybody, you know, of, of all the hundreds of people. And I'm not trying to sound special or or, or anything, but I'm in a u- unique position of all the hundreds of journalists around the, the world covering this case. I'm the only one that has to live here. You have to see him in the grocery store. Yeah. Yeah, I see. I see him in the store when when the international media goes away. You know, I I live here. I, um, when Stephen Smith happened in 2015, Alex's mother was on the school board. My kids were in the school, and she was chairman of this of the school board. So, I wasn't scared. It was a healthy respect. I wrote stories about the Murdochs, good and bad, but I always tried to make sure they were factual, well documented. If I put the Murdoch name out there. This is a family of lawyers, so I'm going to make sure I have my facts and I have my documents. And I did my job, but I did it with a healthy respect. People have asked me before, you know, were you ever scared? Were Have the Murdochs ever threatened you or anything like that? And it's kind of funny. There's this misconception that this is a, a Dixie Mafia, Southern Mafia kind of family, that if you cross them, you might end up dead in a ditch somewhere. That's that's. That's not who these people are. Their their power is in connections and in the courtroom. And when I published some controversial stories about the Murdochs uh, after Stephen Smith's death, it was related to another local local scandal, if you will. I didn't get any threats. Uh, Libby Murdoch, Alex's mother, called me up and invited me to come eat supper with him. Hmm. Um, said, uh, "Why don't you come eat? Come over here to Alameda, eat, eat dinner with us and." Maybe we can give you some information that might be some things that you don't know yeah. behind the scenes that might help you with your next story. And uh, so naturally, I politely de- declined the dinner invitation. But that was the only interaction I've ever had with the Murdoch throughout this entire ordeal was not a threat, but a, a dinner invitation. <laughs> yeah, that's well, interesting. Just as a journalist, I mean, it probably is good to separate yourself so you don't get too close. So you are able to objectively look at what's going on i can answer that uh or address that very very directly um before stephen smith died i was invited often to to events hosted by randolph or hosted by the law firm and some of them were purely for coverage and some of them were social i've been to randolph's house and uh you know they're Every third Thursday, Randolph Murdoch would um, and Almeida would have a cookout, and all the the men, all his buddies and cronies, the mayor, the county councilman, the editor of the paper, they were all invited, and it'd be a fish fry or a barbecue or whatever. And so I'd go to those sometimes, you know. And after Stephen Smith, even though there's no direct evidence that shows that Murdoch had anything to do with his death, there were a lot of rumors going around the community. As of that moment, I quit socially interacting with the Murdoch family and Mm. I distanced myself. I still covered events uh, as a journalist when uh, Randolph was awarded Order of the Palmetto in 2018. I was there at the courthouse. I took pictures or did did a a story. And uh, so I still did my job. I still interacted with them on a professional level. But when Stephen Smith died, I began to put some space between myself socially, between myself and, and, and members of that family. Interesting. A little bit behind the scenes question for you, like on, let's say, the Netflix doc. People don't probably understand how that works. 
I'm guessing that they filmed hours of you uh, talking, I would imagine, right? Yeah, absolutely. It was multiple interviews, uh, two or three hours each time. There's a lot of footage they didn't use. Obviously, there's they filmed me uh, driving down the road, talking to them uh, <laughs> while I'm driving, and they didn't use any of that. But right. um, it's part of the process. They may use it in a, in a later um, show. They may never use it, but they they find local people who know the story. They find local reporters like me, mm-hmm. and they amplify these local voices to a national or uh, international worldwide audience. I think they're in multiple countries around the world, sure. but that's all part of the process. You sit for hours and you might see just a few minutes here and there on the screen, but um, it wasn't just me. I think it was a lot of people. Did you have a makeup and hair person? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, didn't do any makeup and hair. Uh, when I did, um, I did one major network. They asked me to take my glasses off, and I'm blind as a bat. <laughs> so I sat there uh, with my glasses beside me on the desk, not seeing a thing. Um, I think Dateline put a little bit of uh, something on my forehead so my forehead wouldn't shine so much. Um, but yeah, I didn't. I never did any makeup or, or hair. Um, <laughs> you don't have your own trailer. They do stick a microphone down your shirt. Yeah, that is uh, true. Yeah. You had an article titled A Boat Crash Heard Around the World. And I wanted to ask you about how you think local media's coverage kind of got the ball rolling and made this a national story. That's a good question. Um, Stephen Smith was a Hampton County story. It was, it, you know, it started out now. Now, of course, it isn't. But when Stephen Smith happened, it was a Hampton County scandal. It was our little dirty secret. If you saw the articles that we did going back to Thanksgiving of 2015, we pleaded with the community for information and answers, and and we didn't get anywhere, you know. Then the boat crash made this a South Carolina story. People all over the low country and all over the state became aware of what was going on. Let me let me more accurately phrase that. People around the state were introduced to the Murdoch family through this boat crash. I didn't, I certainly didn't break any news in that story. That didn't happen in my county. It happened over in, in Beaufort County, Beaufort Gazette, Island Packet. They did a great job of jumping on that story and, and digging. State paper, John Monk came to town. And all of these dirty Hampton County secrets that we had known for for generations about Buster and the Murdoch dynasty was kind of old news to us. We didn't really think it was anything, you know, everybody knew it but for the rest of the state it was a very exciting backstory so we didn't just have this crash where uh, a young lady was tragically killed we had a member of the murdoch family and then the media starts going back generations and saying oh man there's quite a story here going back to to randolph and uh senior and 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 buster and so at that point it became a south carolina story and i was just one of the many people telling it i i think the reporters i like to give credit where it's due and the reporters in beaufort county and and other major papers around the state just did an excellent job and at that time i was just a small town editor uh just doing my best to try to keep up with the daily papers and to try to tell the story the best i could to the people of hampton county 
that John Monk story where he really goes and does a deep dive into the Murdoch family, I think I've read that story about 10 times. It was really impacted me when it first came out. And I think that was one of the things that really got me hooked on this story. Yeah. John I was talking a few times during the trials. We all were. At one point, I go, you know, John, you're, you're a legend. He goes, ah, oh, geez, that just means I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> and that, well, that says it all. I agree with you. He, he is a legend. And that story, uh, I wish I would have written it. And it's one of those things about its perspective. I mean, how can I say it? What's the expression? You, you can't see the forest for the trees. Yeah. Um, if you're living in the middle of something, it's not a story to you. I, my people have known this for generations. We didn't right. think it was, it was anything. But if you're not from Hampton County, wow, what a story, you know? Right. So You uh, do have a book, though, that just came out where you are telling the story. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I, actually, uh, two books. And, um, you know, this goes back to I, I've been kind of forced to evolve from a, a country editor into a national journalist and now into an author. A lot of people are, are getting the wrong idea about Hampton County and the wrong idea about this, this Murdoch dynasty. And I'd already been doing some research beforehand. So I, over the past year, I, I finished my research efforts and I've written uh, two books. One is Wicked Hampton County that will publish uh, May 29th. And the second book I'm putting the finishing touches on now with the new information from the trial. And that is called Follow the House of Murdoch. And it is expected to publish in June, unless we get some new uh, amazing information or new secrets, it will publish in June. And Wicked Hampton County takes a look at all of Hampton County's dark history going back to, um, you know, over over a couple hundred years. And it includes the Murdoch, uh, uh, condensed version of the Murdoch uh, family's dynasty fall of the house of murdoch is all about the murdoch dynasty it goes back to the days of the confederacy and it talks about that legal and political dynasty how it came to power how it uh made questionable use of that power over the years and how alex and to some extent paul murdoch uh brought about the the fall of this dynasty and and i think both of them are well-documented, well-researched, uh, and I hope they're going to be well-read. I hope so, too. I'm definitely looking forward to it. I will have some time after <laughs> the last few years to read again, so yes. I'm looking forward to definitely reading them. Another thing, I read your article this morning in the Greenville News. I think you quoted Jay Bender, who was the liaison for the media during the course of this trial, and you talked about Judge Newman's transparency, but initially. It was kind of difficult to get some of the records from the court system. Did you find that in the course of your reporting? Yes, the uh, we 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 saw that with the boat crash, and we saw that with the uh, double homicide in at Moselle. Police were very tight-lipped. The boat crash, you could you could get the information a little little easier, but you you didn't. They weren't just you know handing it out willy-nilly. You had to put in freedom of information request and um, you had to chase after it with the homicides. They were very tight lipped because of the family and the nature of the crimes. They kept everything they possibly could under wraps for as long as they could. And 
from a media standpoint, you know, we, we cried foul. We wanted information from a police standpoint. Maybe that was crucial to the investigation. Uh, you know, keep, keep it under wraps. They knew Alex Murdoch was a, their only suspect back in, in August, but they, you know, maybe they didn't want the rest of the world to know that. And, uh, so there's two ways to look, to look at that, but what started as a very media unfriendly crime saga definitely ended in, in, in full transparency, thanks to Judge Newman. And I think that was just been great. Yeah, uh, I agree. Take a little break and uh, get you ready for some traveling you've got coming up, some international trip where you want to be able to at least get around, right? So you want to learn the language of the country that you're going to. You want to experience it with a little bit of knowledge going in. And you can get a lot of bit of knowledge when you use Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop. It can also be used as an app on your phone or tablet. And Rosetta Stone teaches through immersion. It's instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words, you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals. You read stories. You participate in dialogues. So you are ready to go. It's the most trusted, time-tested app out there. They've been the expert in language learning for 30 years. Buy Rosetta Stone now and you never have to pay a renewal fee. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Impact of Influence listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 40% off. That's 40% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 40% off at rosettastone.com backslash today. You still live in this community. What is next for Hampton and how do they move on from this intense media coverage? What's next for Hampton County? Uh, <laughs> that yeah. might be a tough question for one person to answer. Yeah, really. Well, I, I did a story. Um, I think it published yesterday. Uh, the, the stories are starting to kind of blur together for me a little bit. I wrote it Friday and I think it published yesterday. Uh, basically healing Hampton County and how we move on. And the, you know, that's, there's two answers to that question. It's going to be a long time before the community as a whole can put this behind them. I mean, we still got more crimes to deal with. We still got a, yep. a dozen lawsuits to, to deal with. Yep. The Mallory Beach boat crash case is going to be heard in Hampton County on August 14th, unless it's rescheduled again. So. Hampton County is 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 not done with this story. The rest yeah. of the world might have might have began the process of moving on. The media circus has packed up the tents and left Walterboro, <laughs> South Carolina. But here in Hampton, we still, as I said in the story, we still, you know, drive under the shadow of the law firm. We still do business at Time of the State Bank, where Alex Murdoch uh, stole millions. For the community, it's going to take time. But for the families and the victims, they they will never truly move on for, from from this. Yeah. There'll be yeah. some healing and some forgetting or forgiveness, but they'll never truly uh, move on. Are the people from Hampton ready to get out from under this spotlight? I think the people of Hampton are sick and tired of hearing about this story. Um, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it do- has dominated the headlines here like it has anywhere else. But more importantly, people of Hampton County are still very much divided. I've seen posts on social media where people um, still 
believe Alex Murdoch is is innocent of killing his family. Uh, I've seen posts. I've seen posts mocking Alex and and condemning the whole family in general, but primarily Alex. I've seen posts defending Alex. I've seen local people just strict simply say, "Hey, let's just give offer some forgiveness and uh, leave this family alone and let them, you know, move on." So whatever feelings and sentiments that people around the state and around the country and the world are feeling, just amplify those by a hundred and you get yeah. the, the feelings that people in Hampton County have. Michael, you're the best, man. You know, we met you a long, long time ago in the beginning of this process and you were cool to us and we appreciate that. And uh, we appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us. It's uh, very nice. And uh, we'll look for those books soon. Well, I appreciate the kind words, and uh, I'm not an investigative reporter by nature. It doesn't come natural to me, um, and I'm not a aggressive reporter, but I, I do try to do this job without being a jerk, and I really <laughs> appreciate working with nice people, and you guys have just been super nice, and it's been a pleasure to, to meet you and get to know you. Okay, you um, just shocked me that you're not, you know— investigative journalism does not come naturally to you because we would never known that. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a storyteller. I, before all this happened, I was a humorist. I I wrote uh, Southern humor. I wrote about the outdoors. I wrote for South Carolina wildlife magazines, sporting classics. All I ever wanted to be was a, um, a a Lewis Grizzard of Hampton County or the low country. And this story has kind of forced me to evolve and become a, more of an investigative reporter, more of a, uh, well, it's, it's made me a national reporter when before all I was was a, a small town country editor. So I kind of tried to rise to the challenge and some days I, I do pretty good. Yeah, some you do days great. I could use a little work. You do great and uh, you're a good dude and we appreciate that about you even more. So uh, again, Michael, thanks. And we will probably be talking again because this thing's not quite over yet. Oh, absolutely. If I can help you at any, any time, just, just give me a call. You're the best. Right. Thanks, Great. Michael. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Later, man. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. And so it's back-to-back interviews today. Seton, bring in our next guest. We are very excited to have a local Aubrey Dempsey on to answer a few questions that we've had from listeners. So Aubrey, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I was um, born and raised in Farnville. Um, grew up here and went to school with the Murdoch boys. I've known uh, known them all my life, known uh, their parents as well, and got interested in these cases, obviously, because it's really right out my backyard is where everything's happened. And so I took an interest in it from that perspective. And then as a result, I got involved with uh, one of the Reddit subs on the topic, and it has grown to be the largest um, sub that's covering the Murdoch crimes, as well as two of the largest Facebook groups that I admin. So, and what are those um, groups study, again? Um, it is Murdoch Family Murders on Reddit, and then Horror in Hampton, as well as Murdoch Mayhem on Facebook. And along with doing that, uh, as we have experienced too, it's not always uh, love and roses sent your way, is it? <laughs> No, it's definitely not. I've been accused of all kinds of things. Uh, I've been accused of being on the Murdoch payroll. Join the club. Uh, as of yet, no check has arrived. Um, <laughs> yeah, no kidding, been, right? I know, we're still that. waiting for ours. <laughs> yeah, you know, eventually the checks will come in, but I'm afraid they won't be uh, worth cashing once Palmetto State reopens. So, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, um, but yeah, I've been accused of all kinds of things, but 
I am who I say I am. I'm not, it's no mystery. I don't hide. Anybody who knows me knows me. And the people who uh, interact with me know that I'm pretty straightforward. I said from the beginning, all I want is the truth. Um, whatever the truth is and wherever it leads and whosoever doorstep it ends up at is fine. I don't really care. It's just as long as the, it's the truth itself and not yeah. uh, someone's version of the truth. Uh, just the facts. That's all I care about. Well, one question that we have gotten a lot since the release of the Netflix special was about this drone footage that shows John Marvin removing guns from the Moselle property. Can you tell us your knowledge of what happened? I can. Um, I became friends with Eric Allen a while back. Uh, he and I interacted some regarding these cases and uh, specifically the boat crash. Um, we were friends before the murders happened. And then um, we interacted some and he contacted me and said that they were executing search warrants at Moselle that afternoon. And it was just happened to be the day that he and I were supposed to follow up on a couple of things. So I said, Hey, I'll, I'll just meet you out there. And so, uh, met him, um, was on the side of the road with him while he had the drone in the air. Uh, we talked, you know, sled vehicles were coming and going. Um, you could see a lot of activity on the ground, you know, through the monitor of the uh, drone itself. And he, he recorded a bunch of footage. And then it turned out later on that there was some footage in there of John Marvin and Buster removing um, guns from the property, as well as some other things. We couldn't really tell what they were in that um, crate that they had. And it, it turns out that all of that was done, of course, after SLED had already released the property. Uh, so there's really nothing nefarious there that I could find. And to me, it seems logical that you would not want to keep uh, firearms in an unoccupied resident that's uh, that's currently the center of national attention. You know, everybody knows that nobody lives there. So it just makes sense that you'd want to take those firearms and, and put them away somewhere um, secure for safekeeping. I probably would have moved them before September came. Right. So the, the way it's shot or explained is this implication that John Marvin and Buster were, you know, secretly removing weapons and maybe possibly the murder weapons. Yeah, maybe that's where the murder weapons and, went. Yeah, and they're taking them out somewhere to to dump them, and they get the dog in the back of the, the uh, pickup, if I remember right, too. Um, and right. you're saying that your knowledge was Sled had released the house, uh, There was, and it, was, it would make sense to remove guns from a house where no one lived and many people were interested in. You know, there's exactly. gonna, there was all kinds of people hovering around the property, especially after September, when the you know the Labor Day suicide for hire thing, that's when really the bright lights really super shined on Alec and Moselle, and the interest even picked up more, as you know, and we know from covering this. I mean that that's when it really, really uh, got intensified. I believe that's exactly right. And the the date on this footage was uh, about ten days after the roadside shooting incident. Okay, so it was it was just getting ramped up. Well, that's the main thing uh, we brought you in for. Do you have any uh, anything you'd like to say about the boat crash or what's coming up with that that you, you want to fill uh, us in on? Well, it's going to be interesting to see how how that plays out um, and how, the, how a jury is going to find it. Um, I think there's a lot of controversy still and discussion and conflict in testimony, conflict in depositions as to what actually happened and who did what. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how the attorneys bring that out. 
and how a jury finds it. Thank you for joining us and straightening some of that stuff out. Always have uh, enjoyed your take on all of this and the fact that, to to me, I could, I'm sure I can speak for Seton on this, you've been fair about what you've done and what you've said. It's never been a hit piece. It's been fair analysis, and I, that that's rare in this day and time. No, and I, I've actually talked with Aubrey about possibly kind of compiling a list of things that have come out to be true and also inaccuracies in a lot of the reporting yeah. throughout this whole saga. Almost two years, yeah. Or more if you go out to the boat case and, and Stephen Smith. So, yeah, Aubrey, we appreciate your work. Thank you. You're very welcome. All right. You can always reach out to us at the places we've mentioned, like MurdochPodcast.com and the Murdoch Podcast Facebook page. We appreciate Michael and Aubrey joining us. And uh, here's an email from Ruth. Because I was on Court TV the other night, and we were talking about the boat crash that killed Mallory Beach. And she says, uh, Dear Matt and Seton, I think it's very important to let kids know they can call and get a ride home from an unsafe situation, no questions asked. So often kids are in bad situations, don't have the confidence or experience to know they should opt out. It's heartbreaking to see the images of Mallory Beach at the Buford Marina. Thank you for bringing it up on Court TV. There are some bad decisions there's no coming back from. Wish your podcast could spearhead an effort to get that message out there and bring more people on board. Hashtag remember Mallory. Best wishes from Ruth and Okatee, South Carolina. She's referring to one of the things I mentioned on the episode with Vinnie Politan was that, and this is in no way shading anybody that was on that boat at all, but I have talked about this with my 17-year-old daughter. You grew up in the area. I talked about the specific case, and I said about, because we've had the talk about drinking and driving, but this is a, a, a true case about boating and how important it is when you're going out on a boat to know who is captaining that boat. Is he a responsible person? Does he have lights on the boat? Are there life jackets available? It's not something you play with. You don't go on the boat so you can drink and not get pulled over by cops. It is, a, it is a place that you treat just like you do a car and that you, you, you need to be very responsible and be very aware of who is the captain of that ship. And if you ever call me, I don't care how far away you are or what's going on, I will come get you. If you have a chance to get off that boat, I will come get you. There'll be no questions asked and we'll be on our way. And I know that this rings true with you because you grew up on these these waterways in that area and especially decades ago not that you're that old but <laughs> sometimes it's taken it lightly decades ago <laughs> yes it's sometimes taken lightly right the boating and drinking isn't as in, is as thought about as hard as the drinking and driving of a car oh i mean we see it on lake wiley too i mean i think people sometimes have a false sense of security that it's not a roadway and maybe you can't get in trouble. But I mean, we definitely, it's a good message to get out there. And I think it's also a good way to honor Mallory Beach. Agreed. Murdoch Podcast, Facebook, MurdochPodcast.com, Matt Harris Podcast at gmail.com. And as always, we're grateful and we'll talk soon, friend. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... 
To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.